Welcome to Pregnancy Help Podcast. This week's session offers a glimpse into conversations on trauma-informed care currently happening in the housing community and is hosted by Heartbeat International Housing Specialist, Mary Peterson. This podcast is part of a much larger conversation available for download in the store at www.heartbeatservices.org. Thanks for tuning in. And welcome to our discussion. We've been exploring trauma-informed care, especially as it relates to pregnancy help organizations and how we can think about how it impacts our work. Um, today, we're talking specifically about kind of how to avoid secondary trauma as caregivers. So kind of this reality of listening to the difficult experiences of others, of kind of living in the scenarios that are playing out within the context of our organizations and homes. You know, how do we kind of stay healthy and engaged um, as as caregivers? So that's what we're exploring today. I have on the line uh, Lisa Holmes, the Foundation House, who may have been to join us, but they are dealing with situations, as we all know, comes up. So <laughs> looking forward to talking to Lisa about this topic. Lisa, can you just introduce yourself briefly? Uh, yes, I'm Lisa Holmes. I'm Director of Client Services at Foundation House Ministries in Cleveland, Tennessee, and I actually am living south uh, with the girls. So, and Lisa is working on her PhD in the topics of uh, related to trauma. So she's kind of in the throes of research as well as has the hands-on experience of kind of living in, and working in this day in and day out. So we know you have a lot to offer. So, Lisa, my introduction to this concept of secondary trauma, I was sitting in a workshop um, and I was introduced to the idea of toxic stress and how the impact that has on your body. And I looked at this list of symptoms of toxic stress, you know, and it was like memory loss and unexplained body aches and, you know, bad dreams and all this stuff. And I just, I, I saw myself in that list, you know, and for the first, it was like this huge wake up call to me, like, oh, something has to change. Like I'm, I'm holding on, you know, the, the stress is in impacting my body. Uh, so my like wake up call. And in truth, I feel like this is an area that I'm not really good at. You know, I know I've read a lot and I've seen a lot, but it's not something that I've really mastered in my own life. Um, can you just tell us a little bit like what is secondary trauma? What are we talking about here when we kind of throw that term out? Okay. Secondary trauma occurs in in helping professions. A lot of people go into our field because they have had trauma in their past because they can relate and they feel like they have something, you know, that they can give to someone else because of their situation, which is very true. Um, the majority of the counselors and um, peer monitors in rehab facilities are former clients. Um, so what happens is you get in there, you're wanting to help, you're you know, jump in with both feet and all of a sudden trauma is triggered in you that you thought you had already handled or just dealing with trauma on a day in and day out basis, even if you've never really experienced anything um, in your life before, it coming off of the girls, just the energy and being in a trauma-driven situation all the time is very, very stressful on people in helping professions. That's kind of what yeah. secondary stress trauma is. Yeah. Um, I know as I was preparing for this, I was trying to think, okay, what are some of the scenarios that play out that might, you know, lead to a sense of, you know, trauma, toxic stress, whatever, compassion fatigue, kind of whatever the language is there. Um 
So it's, it can be just hearing the stories of the women, you know, something like a child removal happens in the home, um, any loss, death or loss, you know, that happens in the home, uh, you know, so, and some of those things are like daily occurrences, right? Reading a case file or kind of being exposed to um, a mom's traumatic events in her life, you know, that some of those things are daily life and some of them are kind of unique you know, scenarios that don't happen all the time. Can you think of other examples of what can, what, what it even looks like um, of your life? Well, I know of one instance where um, someone went to speak on trauma and, you know, on the maternity housing industry in, in a church. And the person going there to speak had actually been part of that church as a child. And when she got there to speak, she was triggered by terrible, terrible memories of that time of being there in that church and had to leave. Uh, so that's one instance of, you know, something seemingly innocent. You're just doing your job and telling others how great your organization is and why they should get involved. But then you're triggered because that hurt child comes back. Um, yeah. Or you see a mom that her parents have died. She's all alone in the world and you're her sole source of support, but then you never had that support uh, from your own parents. That can be really difficult on you, constantly having to give something that you never really received, even though you think it should be the natural thing to do. It's not necessarily always going to come easily, and it, it does come at a cost to our, our well-being, our physical health, our mental health, and our emotional health. So I'm kind of taking away maybe there's there's two, you know, either triggering one's own trauma or kind of the sense of just mm-hmm. being exposed to the traumatic events of, of others. You know, both of those can kind of look the same or have similar symptoms or, you know, kind of expressions going on. Yes. Yeah, Do you happen to know any of that? Like what does when one is kind of flipping into secondary trauma or compassion fatigue, do you have any sense of kind of what that looks like or what, what that, that is? Um, how does that show up in, a, in someone's body or in their thoughts or in their mm-hmm. behaviors? Uh, yes, you would You would probably notice um, in, in one of your coworkers that, you know, maybe she starts missing work. You know, she either has a headache really often or, you know, an upset stomach seems to happen every so often. Or, you know, maybe they're not as enthusiastic about coming to work as they were or they're really struggling just getting everything done. And, you know, you can actually see the stress start to wear on, on their faces at some point. And, you know, if you watch body language closely and kind of, you know, keep keep an eye out for staff, which, you know, we have been trained to do here, fortunately, we can try to stay ahead of it. We've had a couple of instances where some volunteer uh, mentors came in and, you know, we watched them disintegrate from an eager volunteer to someone who absolutely had to have help, you know, immediately. And it took a while to recognize it, but now that we know what to look for, you know, it makes that a little bit easier. And just staying engaged with your staff and, you know, learning their body cues and kind of reading between the lines, um, so to speak. I've heard with, you know, with all all respect and not, not to compare, but, you know, when you think about combat uh, fatigue, you know, I've heard it, and sometimes our, our work have the same elements, you know, an echo of that in that, you know, it can be life and death situations, you're making decisions that really impact the well-being of other people, you know, it's constant for live-in staff, it's like kind of this constant, there's no reprieve, you know, kind of that mm-hmm. sense, and so kind of that echo of, of uh, you know, 
some, you know, an echo of what of what soldiers might even go through. I don't know if there's any that resonates at all with you, but I've heard it described that way as well. Mm-hmm. Yes, there is, and and it's a sense of almost being trapped in. You know, we're called to do our work. A soldier, you know, has enlisted or been called to do his duty. And, you know, there you are in the middle of everything. And sometimes you look up and think, you know, how did I, how did I get here? You know, how, how can I possibly continue to do this? But yet you have that call and you have that spirit that wants to continue. But, you know, your body is fighting against it. Your mind, you know, there's a great mind body connection. A famous quote that I really like is, the mind is a slave of the heart. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, what we feel in our heart, that's where our brain takes us. And when we're stressed, when we're, you know, really emotional, then our head will uh, respond. We will sometimes have have panic attacks. You can have, um, like I said, um, frequent illnesses, headaches, especially stomach issues. We see a lot of those in clients and, and in the workers as well. But I do believe it is very similar to combat fatigue. Uh, it's exhausting work, mentally, physically, and emotionally. So maybe let's talk a little bit about, you know, what we can do to avoid it or to, if we find ourselves kind of leaning in that direction, how to kind of come back to, you know, a healthy, healthy place. Um, okay. I think there's maybe two ways to talk about it. So one would be the things that we can do as individuals and like how can we take care of ourselves and, you know, kind of build skills in ourselves as individuals. And then the other way is like what can organizations do to, you know, help prevent this or help kind of, you know, get people healthy again if, if, if people are feeling a little overwhelmed. So let's talk maybe first about individuals. Like what can we do just as people who are in intense work um, who need to stay healthy in order to be able to continue to give? <laughs> you know, what, what are some of the things that we can do to be able to avoid secondary trauma? All right. Number one is you have to put yourself first. You have to meet your own needs before you can meet anyone else's. You know, I'm not talking about selfishness. I'm not talking about, you know, putting clients last. I'm talking about knowing what you need to function, how much sleep you need, you know, what what kind of foods fuel you, uh, getting exercise scheduled in there, getting your alone time, your Bible study, whatever it is that makes you feel happy and makes you feel like you can go out and tackle the rest of the world. You have to make sure that those things are scheduled first and then you fill in with everything else. If you have to get up 30 minutes early or stay up 30 minutes past everybody else, whatever it is that you need to do, you need to know your body's cues and demand those things from yourself. You know, we're so afraid of saying no or, you know, appearing selfish. We don't want to look tired. We don't want to look weak. So we go and we go and we go. And our body says, stop. So the most important thing is knowing your body and allowing yourself the freedom to give yourself permission to do what is good for you. Um, you know, and if something isn't working for you, if you're not getting enough sleep, do what it takes to change that. If you're not eating right, do what it takes to change that because it's all interconnected. But just really focusing on putting you first and learning to say no or not right now. 
Yeah, no, great. I In my reading to prepare, I saw the term self-efficacy in this thing, that, that you're in control of that and that it's like mm-hmm. yours to like own and, you know, promote and, you know, really, really claim that this is not, it's not something that someone has to give you, right? It's like this is yours to own right. and, and really um, take take charge over. So, um, and, and I know my own, my, my own weakness is, right, I keep waiting for other people to like give me permission to do these things, right? That's my, my exactly. own temptation exactly. um, and that that the, really the challenge was to like own it for yourself and claim it for yourself and um, that it's not right. optional. You know, it's like sometimes what allows we you to martyr do ourselves for the cause. That does no one any good. No one. Got to know when to say when. And hopefully it's before you get to that point. The other thing I think that people talk a lot around this topic is kind of the thought patterns in your head, which to me, you know, we kind of know, right? As caregivers, we know the importance of, you know, sleep and journaling and walking in nature and praying. Like, we know those things, even if we're not real good at doing them, we kind of know they're super important and we know we've heard those all before. Big idea, like, how do we change the thoughts that go on in our head about our work? To me, is the really hard, like, you know, the hard thing of this all. Like, how, you know, they talk about being more positive or, you know, framing things um, in terms of problems that have solutions, you know, and challenges and, you know, not getting not getting caught up in the negativity of it all. Can you speak to that at all? Yeah, it is very, very difficult. It's easy to say if you only do this and you only do this and you only do this, you know, you're going to do good. But, you know, the fact is we do carry that with us. We don't take the time to do the things that we know we should do. Um, you know, we know we should sit down and do our journaling because that makes us feel good, but we put it off. And And I think it's all about making priorities. You know, what are our values? What are our true values? And realizing that we cannot impart information. We cannot impart the keys to a better life if we are not living that better life ourselves. You know, I try to do a little bit better every day in in each of the areas. Uh, Today, my goal spiritually was to make time for praise. You know, and I have to tell myself, you need to make time for praise. Don't ask for anything, just give praise. For my work, it was to let go of anything that is guilt-related. You're guilty over everything. You're guilty because you're late on your paper. You're guilty because, you know, you didn't get to class on time. Whatever it is that you're guilty about, you have to give yourself permission to let that go. And until you can really have a heart-to-heart with yourself and ask God to help you get through these weaknesses that are what's holding you back from reaching your full potential, you're not going to be able to do the things that you're teaching others to do. And and these girls learn by example. You know, I can say all day long, hey, let's be active, let's be healthy, let's read our Bibles. But if I only watch TV, lay on the couch eating ice cream and uh, veg out, then I'm not showing them that that's really something that they could actually do. Uh, I'm just telling them something that I'm not doing myself. And it's very, very, very difficult to keep it consistent. You know, everybody gets that honeymoon phase. You're going to do something. You're going to tackle it. You know what the problem is. You know how to do it. And you hit it head on until a few days later and you don't. You know, you're tired. This happened or that happened. It's just about perseverance and understanding that you're not going to get it all. You might know it in your mind, but putting it into practice takes practice. Determination takes writing it down, maybe some I will statements or I am or I have, you know, and making those your your guide for your day and forcing yourself yeah. to do them. I know for me, too, it's the whatever that 
voices in my head are the really around expectations, right? The perfect house mother does this, the perfect executive director would act this way, you know, be handle this situation perfectly. You know, it's whatever that um the performance expectations that I put on myself. Um mm-hmm. and having to to let go of that sense of this is this is whatever however I should be acting, you know, I'm comparing myself against this other thing that is how I should be acting. Can you talk to that at all? Yeah, we do put expectations on ourselves, you know, maybe I'm not Christian enough. Maybe I'm too Christian. You know, maybe maybe I'm putting off this vibe. You know, I'm not perfect. Maybe I messed this up. You know, we are human. We're not going to be a perfect director. We're not going to be a perfect house parent. You just have to know, was I called to do this job? And if you were called, God wants you to do it the way you do it. You will be learning through every single thing that you do. You will never be perfect. But if you always strive to be better, better is fluid. You know, perfect, best, those are stagnant. Those are where they are. But to be better, be a little bit better every day is really what I strive to do. Because I know I'm never going to be perfect. I know I'm always going to screw up. And somebody else is going to do it better than me. But nobody else was asked to do the job that I am doing. So all I can do is do better each day, do better in wherever I see. Because if you sit back and listen, you will know where you're actually falling short and where your idea of what you should be doing is what is falling short. And it's actually what you are falling short on. That's what you can learn and grow with. You can never strive and reach perfection because I, I don't believe it exists. Every situation is different. Every client is different. Every board is different. So you have to allow yourself to work your calling as you were called to do it. Yeah, great reminder. Let's talk a little bit about things that you can do, like, on an organizational level, you know, so whatever policies or habits or scheduling or, you know, um, any ideas that you have around things that can happen on an organizational level that allow, you know, just allow the whole organization because we know, mm-hmm. you know, if staff members are frustrated, there's lots of turnover, you know, that's hard on our organization as well. So can, can we much. talk about organizational levels? Uh, yes. Uh, personally, at, at Foundation House, we, I feel like we have a, a really good system in place that we don't always do perfectly, but we strive to. And one of the first things we do is when we are interviewing um staff or volunteers, interns, whatever the case may be, we give them an ACES quiz just like we would a client to try to determine, uh, you know, what kind of trauma this person is already bringing into the work that they're going to be doing. Uh, and lots of times that will really help you see why they're there. That will tell you why they're there, but looking at that ACES score, um, then we do uh, some intensive training where we talk specifically about self-care, about trauma being triggered by actions that just working around here can do, or one of the girls causing uh, you to be triggered and have a past trauma, or just allowing stress to build up and build up without doing anything about it. So we teach you that that probably will happen if you don't follow some of the measures. And if it does happen, you know, we have a plan for you, what you need to do in that respect. What we do on a daily basis is we start with uh, yoga and meditation in the morning. That gives us time to kind of be present. One day a week we have what's called a dump fest, and that's generally on Monday, and everybody comes in and they try to just leave everything, the stress, all of the worries that they have about what they have to do, this week, what they didn't do last week, 
much. And this is including clients. We do it all together. And we just go around the circle and everybody tells, you know, what's on their mind. And they kind of leave it there on the mat is, is what we ask them to do. Just for the remainder of that period, leave it here on the mat. Don't carry it with you and, and voice it. And sometimes if you voice it, then you are going to to already have the, some of the relief you need. So we do that. And then we also, I am um, watch staff really closely. In fact, I was watching, uh, Susanna's not my staff, uh, direct staff member. She's above me, but she was really, really stressed on Monday. And, I mean, you could look at her face, and, and I told her, I said, you need a timeout. I've got too much to do. I said, no, you need a timeout. You have to take care of you or you're not going to be able to do anything. And you could just read the stress on her face. So allowing our people to to go home early a couple of hours, you know, without them asking or say, you know, hey, I brought you something for lunch. Go take a break. We don't allow them to eat at their desk anymore because we would all sit here at our desk eat our lunch, be cooped up, working, and so everybody now has to get up and either move around, go outside, go to the prayer room to to eat lunch away from it. And to put limits on, you know, when they will return phone calls, uh, when they can be bothered and when they can't. Like, you know, if you're not a 24-hour staff member, you don't need to be on call at 6 or 7, 8 o'clock at night. But if you are, then, you know, that's your responsibility. But being prepared teaching them and I think um, teaching them self-care instead of self-soothing. Self-soothing would be getting a manicure, pedicure, eating, you know, a special cookie. That's all self-soothing. But self-care is truly getting to know yourself, getting to know your staff and taking care of them on the level that really makes a difference in the stress load that they carry. Giving them permission to take a mental health day when you know they need it. That's oh, that's some of the I've never heard there. that distinction of like self-soothing as you know something that brings you mm-hmm. maybe momentarily pleasure or you know like something. I hadn't. Right. I've never heard that idea. You know, and really looking at self-care as something deeper to fix. I was yeah. a self-soother for years, and that works on an emotional level. It does not help you mentally. You know, and the emotions come right back once you eat the whole piece of cake or once you have that pretty pink pedicure. You know, you're right back to the state that you were in. But self-care is truly caring for yourself mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And it takes active measures in order to do that. You know, sitting down, taking time away. Breathing, you know, doing some breathing exercises, a change of scenery, going outside, taking a 10, 15 minute walk if that's what you need, but recognizing it in others before it can go too far. It is very helpful, too, because it gives them permission to be human. You know, it gives them permission to, to say, you know, really, I'm, I'm exhausted. And a lot of people don't want to say that. You don't want to admit your weakness. You know, you don't want to admit, I'm tired. I can't work another hour today. I need to go home. That's okay. It's not weakness. Your body knows when it needs rest, uh, and God designed us to rest. So I'm, I'm a firm believer in mental health days, self-care, and, uh, you know, and working as a team to make sure and keep each other on point with that, you know, making sure that each other is eating right, getting some sleep, calling us out. You know, I will call you out on it. If you look like you're overstressed, overworked, you know, hey, why haven't you taken a mental day? Or what can we do to take something off of you? Um, that's kind of some of the things that we do around here. Yeah, no, those are, those are great ideas. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'd be curious your thoughts because I think, 
you know, there's this idea that when of venting, right? So like mm-hmm. when when is there a way in which we talk to each other, we kind of share our experiences and that's healthy and right as staff members. And then maybe there's a way in which it's negative, right? And it's just kind of like creating this culture of like, right. you know, like living in the negativity of it all. Can you, I don't know if you could distinguish at all, like the difference between like healthy sharing about, you know, what's going on and perpetuating this negative cycle of, I think um, our Monday mornings, uh, and, and, you know, if we feel like we need to do it at other times, we'll call everybody to the mat. That's what we call it. Um, it's putting it all out there at that one moment in time when, you know, that's what everybody's focus is on and you can talk through it. Um, that is definitely positive. Sometimes we have tears. You know, sometimes we have We've had clients who, you know, were cursing at us, just whatever the instance may be, but they are allowed to purge that right there on that spot, and then they don't carry it out with them. What happens when you keep that negativity inside when, and, and the whole atmosphere is just charged with negative energy? Then, you know, there people are going to, one person's going to tell someone, and then that person's going to tell another person. And one of the things that the client does, if something negative happens, they will tell one staff member. And they don't like what that staff member says, so they'll go tell another staff member. And then they'll go tell another staff member. They're trying to get a different answer for this same problem, but they're breeding that negative energy all through the organization. So I think that would be an instance where, you know, it's negative or, you know, if you got a problem with a coworker or you got a problem with a volunteer, you know, you address it with that particular person because they're the only ones who can solve it for you. If my uh, office manager has a problem with me, it doesn't do her any good to address it with the instructor or with the executive director. She needs to address it with me. And then if we can't come to a resolution, then, you know, we need to seek help. But just having the security that you can come to someone and say, you know, hey, this is just not right or, you know, I feel like this is a negative thing and stopping negativity as soon as it starts. When you feel it starting to breed, it will multiply like bacteria and it invades, especially when a lot of women work together in one place. So we always caution you, you know, this, we, we do not do this here. We yeah. absolutely just do do it we don't accept it and we have had people who could not be any other way and we've had to ask them to leave in general the work that we're doing can is is heavy work you know it's a heavy load i don't know how i guess how do we stay lighthearted about it how is there a sense of like not living in the heaviness of it or the intensity of it or the stress of it but staying lighthearted do you have any kind of maybe closing thoughts just on how to live in that space yeah I, you have to laugh you have to laugh at yourself you have to laugh at your girls you have to give yourself permission to laugh i mean some of the things that go on are so crazy they're scary but but they're hilarious and in an appropriate way between just you and one other person you have to learn to laugh it off laugh it off with the girls as well they're they're going to mess up uh there's so many times when you know we just laugh at the most ridiculous things that that happen because if you don't you'll cry you know every time you think you've heard the worst story you're ever going to hear you're going to hear one that's a little bit worse. You have to make lighthearted wherever you can. You have to find joy. You have to find some fun wherever you can. We had a real serious situation uh, happen around here the other day where a volunteer was trying to, she was inappropriately contacting clients. And so, you know, while on the one hand, it's very, very serious. And we had to say, hey, 
no more cut it out, you know, with the girls. I can tease them. Oh, you know, she liked you so, so much. She just really wanted to follow you everywhere you went. You know, just make it, mm-hmm. you know, t- kind of turn it around so they're not so scared. They're not so uh, in fear of messing up because they're constantly in fear of messing up. But if you can teach them to laugh at themselves and you laugh along with them, I think that uh, that goes a long way. You know, there there is some humor. I, I have one little girl. This I'll never forget this story. She she cannot leave Bradley County because of some charges she has. So she got a call, which was from an automated teller, and she had won a cruise. Uh, I knew right away that it was a scam call, blah, blah, blah. She didn't know that. So she said, lady, I cannot win a cruise. I can't even leave the county. I'm a convicted felon. There's no way. I can leave the county. How am I going to get to the airport? And she was so serious. And, you know, the poor lady on the other end was like, I don't know what to And so I was laughing so hard that the person on the phone actually got mad and, and told me uh. to and, and so the girl laughed it off. But, you know, it's not funny when you have severe criminal charges and you can't leave the county. But when right. you want to cruise and you can't drive to the airport because you have to go into a different chat, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, have, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Laugh about it. So we still laugh about it to this day. It's been about six months, and that's one of my greatest stories ever. Um, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, you just laugh. <laughs> yeah, uh, well said. Yeah, and you're definitely a great witness of that. Any other closing ideas or things that you didn't have a chance to say that occurred to you? Advice you'd give to people that are trying to figure this out for themselves? Yeah, getting, you know, really taking care of your staff is very, very important because, you know, staff is what keeps the girls and the clients coming. They're what keeps the the ball rolling. And if you take good care of your staff, they're going to be able to take good care of everyone else. And you have to take care of yourself in order to do that. You have to give yourself permission to not be perfect. You have yeah. to give yourself some goals. You know, you have to always try to do better. You'll never be perfect. You'll never be the best. Somebody will always be best, but you be better every day and um, take care of yourself and don't let that stress be still the joy from your life. It's about finding joy. You may not be yeah. happy in any moment, but don't let your joy be taken by something that you were called to do. Yeah. I really liked your idea, too, about kind of the deeper behaviors, right? Not just the self-soothing behaviors of, you know, but kind of what can I push on deeper in my life where I actually experience real renewal, refreshment, you know, um, whatever that is for oneself. So that Mm -hmm. that really, that resonated with me as well. So Lisa, thank you so much for sharing your your expertise and thoughts on this. Definitely grateful for it. Uh, And we look forward to hearing more from you in upcoming weeks as we tackle some different topics. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pregnancy Help Podcast. To subscribe to future episodes, access resources related to today's session, or listen to previous episodes, visit www.heartbeatinternational.org slash podcast. Thanks for tuning in.